You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And this is Discovering Multifamily Episode 75. So I want to welcome Eric Schlein to the program. Uh, Eric Schlein has a pretty interesting background. He's actually the host of the Intelligent Investing Podcast himself, and he's a value investor, uh, one of the founders of Granite State Capital Management. And uh, today we're going to talk about his um, investments into public. We're talking a lot about private real estate markets on the show, but he's going to have an interesting perspective um, from the, the public side of, of real estate investing. So looking forward to the show and, and looking forward to learning uh, the insight that you provide. So thanks for coming on, Eric. No, thanks, Anthony, for having me on. Excellent. So tell us about your show and tell us about your, your company. And um, I want to learn as much as I can from you. Sure. Yeah, well, I'll back up and I can share how I got into investing because uh, that's what led to my show and, and my company. So um, I started when I was 14 and I was, you know, at a bookstore with my mom and we walked into uh, the Barnes and Noble or Borders, one of those, and, uh, you know, wanted to be a big boy and go to the most mature section of the bookstore and sell the business section. And there was a book that I found and it was something like, you know, a teen's guide to making more money than your parents. And it was a book by The Motley Fool. And it seemed interesting. So I sat down and started reading it at the bookstore. And, you know, they have the basics of, you know, the, the dangers of being in credit card debt and, you know, save more than you, than you make and all that. And then I saw a compound interest graph. And I thought to myself, wow, if I could, you know, compound money for, you know, decades, right, because it was a 50-year graph, um, I could, you know, have a job where I don't make that much money and actually end up being worth over a million dollars. So, you know, as a 14-year-old kid, it's very exciting. And they talked about a few different investors. Um, and it was, you know, Warren Buffett was one of the investors they talked about in the book. So I bought a book on him called Warren Buffett Wealth by Bob Miles. And in that book, it talked about, you know, the intelligent investor and uh, common stocks and uncommon profits. And I just started reading the books that Buffett read when he was younger. And it just kind of opened my eyes to you know, the value of any asset is all the cash flows it will ever produce just counting back to the present. It doesn't matter if it's a company or a, you know, a royalty trust of some kind or a piece of real estate. So I would say that grounded me in, in investment principles and, it, and, it, and it, I got very excited about it. And it was this game. Like I looked at it as a game and a game that I love to play and I started doing it for fun and researching and reading company reports. Uh, and then in 20... Well, it was, I started my company, Ground State Capital, in the end of 2014. I didn't get my first investor until 2015. Um, and, you know, just slowly been building that up over the last five years. And, you know, that, com- that company specifically, um, we do um, investment management, you know, for wealthy families and individuals um, with stocks mostly. Um, and it's a value investment philosophy. Um, and then I started my podcast in 2017. Uh, there were not a lot of value investing podcasts at the time. And 
I had a blog years ago when I was in high school. So I thought, you know, this would be fun. And I wanted to do something that I thought was fun and entertaining, but also could teach people because I really love teaching people what I do and, and helping people learn how to invest themselves. So that was a, a medium that I love, which I'm sure you love as well. The fact that you've done 75 up or 70 episode 75. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you, you, you understand. Um, so that's how, that's how I got into it. Um, and um, yeah, so that's a little bit about my background. That's great. So in terms of the investments that you guys make, um, I, I noticed, you know, on, on your website, you had quite a few investments in different industries, but there's obviously the one that stood out to me is the real estate. Um, so can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that and what, what you guys are invested in and focusing yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, I also, and for full disclosure, I do look at private real estate as well. So I have another business, a Wyoming warehousing and safe deposit company. Uh, where, you know, we have a, a small real estate portfolio and then we also do uh, consulting for uh, investment managers who and, and other people that would want to buy real estate themselves. Um, but the principle, so I think this is what's interesting and it's not really talked about a lot. The principles that I, that I use, whether I'm looking at a private real estate transaction or a public real estate transaction are really the same. So, you know, if I'm looking at a public company or well you know, what's a public company? Because there's a lot of people I've actually met this uh, and experienced this where there's people who they're real estate investors and they're very logical and they clearly understand how to invest. And then they come to the stock market and they're like, whoa, that's some scary stuff. There's stock prices moving around and that's gambling. Yeah. And the, and the truth is, right, logically it doesn't, it's like their brain turns to mush. And, you know, it, there's, it's no different except the difference is if I'm, you know, if I was buying a piece of real estate, and I'm the only buyer of the piece of real estate, it's like owning one share. Of, it's like, imagine the company, the entire company is a real estate company. It has one share of stock and you're buying the only share. And now you own hundred percent of the real estate company. The only difference is with a public company, you're often buying a portfolio or something representing uh, real estate cash flows or real estate value in some way. And you're not the 100% owner. You're one of many shareholders and you own X percent of the stock, but the principles are, are the same. Um, so, you know, we have a few real estate investments in, um, yeah, grand estate capital management, um, um, you know, that are publicly traded. Um, I guess I could, I could talk about you know, maybe one or two of them if, if you'd like, I don't know how much time we have, but, Let's do it. um, all right. So one of them is a company called uh, Brookfield asset management and, you know, they're, they're a very large company, um, you know, maybe I don't know the exact market cap, but, you know, 10 billion plus market cap company. So it's not like if you're even a mid-sized investor, you can't invest in it. Um, you know, I do like to invest in a lot of really, really tiny things that you, you, you really can't invest in it, even with a $100 million portfolio. But with Brookfield, it's, you know, very, uh, it's very liquid, the stock. Um, and, you know, the situation there is, there's a, there's a few segments of the business. So there's an asset management company. So Brickfield Asset Management, they are, they are an asset management business and they specialize in both real estate and real assets. So it's a very interesting structure. The guy who runs it, and they would probably hesitate to say he runs it because he doesn't run the whole thing. He's just the CEO. There's, but there's a lot of wonderful guys there that could step in in his place if he was hit by a bus tomorrow. His name, his name is Bruce Flatt. And he's a younger guy. He's been there for about 20 years. And 
maybe in his 50s now, which is relatively young for what he's accomplished over 20 years. You know, the stock has compounded by high double digits, um, which you would know as a, you know, investing in multifamily, if you could return, you know, 18, 20% a year for 20 years, that's pretty damn good. So you could have invested in a stock that represents a lot of real estate investments uh, and doing no work yourself, not having to worry about tenants. You literally have a management place. You could literally have bought the stock 20 years ago, gone to sleep for 20 years, and would have made more money doing that than your average piece of real estate. Now, the business model is really interesting. So they make money on the asset management side, right? So it's not pure real estate. You are buying an asset manager where they're making fees off real estate investments. They have a portfolio of private funds. A lot of those private funds are in real estate. And then they have a few publicly traded uh, limited partnerships that they own large stakes in. Uh, so one of them is uh, Brookfield Property Partners, which is a pure real estate player. Uh, so you may have actually have seen Brookfield somewhere, you know, on a, on a, like in a mall or, you know, something. There's Brookfield Place in New York City, and there's also one in Toronto. Uh, so they're pretty big. They're, they're pretty big in, in the real estate world and in, in, in major cities all around, all around the world. And what they do is they look to buy uh, assets below replacement costs that they feel they can hold for a long time and make uh, outsized returns. And they can make you know, large deals very quickly. They can develop the properties and they, they have a competitive advantage, especially when they're buying you know, multi-billion dollar um, you know, assets. There's, there's not many people that can just swipe up multi-billion dollar assets very quickly and develop them. So you know, obviously, Brookfield Property Partners has been under a lot of distress, uh, especially with their shopping mall uh, portfolio. Um, but so you, so you, you look, so there's that, then they have Brookfield infrastructure partners, which I think is most exciting. Um, you know, Bruce Flatwood would say that we're in the very early innings of an infrastructure boom around the world. And even though their portfolio is in, you know, the many billions of dollars, infrastructures, you know, people don't understand how large the infrastructure industry is. I mean, it's trillions, right? You're dealing with, you know, bridges and toll roads and tunnels. And talking about internationally, you put a few billion in and you're only scratching the surface. Um, So there's a significant runway of growth in infrastructure, even though it's already so large. Um, Then there is the renewables business, right? So they're investing in, you know, solar and power plants and all of that. And again, they're buying... Uh, often distressed properties or properties where there's some, you know, they were over leveraged or something and they can, you know, manage them better and get higher rates of returns than your average renewable investor that might be making, you know, three, four or 5% cap rates. Um, so that their cap rates are higher. Um, and then they have, um, so I said infrastructure, property partners, renewables, and then they have, um, they have one more and I can't think of it. Oh, and uh, they also have a private equity firm. Uh, called Brookfield Business Partners as well, which is not real estate invested. So it's not that hard to figure out the business. Um, you have to put some trust in management, but what you would do is you would value their real estate. Uh, you know, they have a net asset value of the real estate, which you should value at net asset value, unless you think that they're overstating uh, their assets on the books. They tend to have understated their assets on the books over time because when they have sold assets over the last 20 years, they tend to get a premium to book value, not, not a discount. So that's 
always a good sign when you see management, you know, under promising and over delivering and not being hyper aggressive on the balance sheet. And then you have to apply some kind of multiple to the asset management business. So, you know, that asset management business, especially with low interest rates has been growing like wildfire. So maybe you say you think it's worth 20 to 25 times earnings, something like that. And then you, um, you would take any extra carried interest from, you know, performance fees that might be coming in and you add all that together and you get a sum of the parts. And, you know, we were buying Brookfield stock, you know, up literally five years ago at a pretty significant discount to, you know, a relatively fair, you know, value of, of what those, of those business units would be worth. So yes, they have the asset management business, but then they have real estate, which you can, literally look at it and then value it at book value and you would get a significant discount um, to where the stock price was. So that's just one example of, you know, a form of public, you know, publicly traded real estate. And if you wanted to even be a more pure play, you can look at say, like, let's say you want to get exposure to infrastructure, right? Well, if I'm managing a portfolio of, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, I can't necessarily go buy a tunnel with just, you know, my own money. So infrastructure is, tends to be one of those uh, industries where to buy it uh, and to get those cash flows, you really need a lot of money. You know, you're talking hundreds of millions and billions of dollars to, to invest in infrastructure, at least to get good returns. So Brookfield Infrastructure Partners is a way where you can invest in, um, you know, the, it's structured either as a REIT or as a uh, public partnership, uh, depending on your tax laws in your country. Um, and there have been times, especially say during COVID where Brookfield infrastructure partners traded at a stock price that was completely inappropriate for the market value of that infrastructure. And it wasn't like that. Those assets were, were impaired, uh, significantly from COVID, even though the market was down a lot. So that's an example of just one, of one business that, you know, we're, we're invested in. It's a pretty large position for us. I see. So, um, in terms of you, you kind of alluded to this as well. You mentioned, obviously, infrastructure is a huge industry, and you're basically owning, you know, pieces of the, the operating business of whatever you guys are, are investing in. And especially yeah. for that industry, just as a whole, it's going to take a lot of capital in order for it to be worth it to see a great return on it, right? So yeah. mm -hmm. I guess um, the difference, what do you see like the main differences between, I guess, the, the public returns and the private returns, particularly let's just use Brookfield as an example. Sure. Um, is it more of a longer hold? Because, you know, usually the private deals, it's three to five years. You know, yeah. Brookfield, obviously, and in the stocks, you can, you know, buy and sell pretty much at any time. Um, yep. So what, what would you say is kind of the, I guess, the pros and cons to, to that situation versus the, the, the private deals? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure about the pros and cons because you have to look at every situation on its own. Just like there's private deals that look very appealing. Um, there's publicly traded land companies and publicly traded real estate that does not look appealing. So it's not like because it's public or because it's private, it's a good deal or a bad deal. You're right. It's just like, you know, if I'm looking at real estate in Texas and I think Texas is going to be booming over the next 10 years, it doesn't mean that any piece of property in Texas is going to be a good investment, right? So I'm looking at everything individually. When I look at Brookfield, I see a company that's going to be growing in double digits for at least another 10 years. And 
if I can buy that stock at a discount to what I believe those assets are worth in, a, in the private market, right? If I, if I wanted to build, so this is how I think about it, right? If I wanted to build Brookfield from scratch, right? If I had, you know, a few, you know, billions and billions, you know, 20, 30 billion dollars, and I just had the money to throw around to build a Brookfield, it would cost me more money to, to build Brookfield from scratch than to buy their assets in the public market. And a lot more money, you know, right. so, and you could actually, I would refer you to, if you go to um, their investor presentation of their most recent investor presentation, the management actually outlines what they, how they look at net asset value of the company. And you can see right now, and again, you know, do your own due diligence. This is not a buy recommendation. Um, right now, the stock price, if you believe the management, which I personally do, the stock price trades at a significant discount to the, some of the parts of the real estate and asset management business of Brookfield. So if I believe, like I do, that the, the business itself is going to be growing at double digits and I'm buying it at a significant discount to the fair value already, then my return should even be higher, you know, over the next 10 years. Got it. Okay. So this is just, this is just one example. And um, so when you're, when you're generally managing, you know, portfolio, how diversified do you want your clients and yourself to, to be, you know, to, you know, you invest in a Brookfield and then what else do you invest in? Do you hold 10 stock, you know, heavy position stocks? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so right now I, I tend to be relatively concentrated. So, you know, I do manage separately. I do have separately managed accounts. So every account's a little bit different, but I think right now it might be like five or six stocks, you know, over 50% of the assets um, that, that we manage. So, you know, in, in the context of most money managers, I'm extremely concentrated and not diversified at all. Um, if I'm buying just, you know, distressed properties, I, I did purchase, for instance, a distressed um, pure play uh Pro, you know, property company that is uh, centered around grocery anchored, um, you know, retail, um, which is, you know, in distress, but not say as in, in as much distress as a non-grocery anchored retail. Um, and that's a company where, you know, they're very highly leveraged. There is a chance they would go to zero. Um, it's a 1% position, but I think the upside is, you know, three to four times my money in the next few years. So for something like that, I would not make it a large position but a basket of those kinds of companies, I believe would do very well over time. Um, so anything distressed is in a big position. If it's something where I don't really think I'd lose a lot of money, right? So, um, you know, as Warren Buffett would say, rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. My largest positions aren't in the companies I think I'll make the most money. It's the companies where I believe I'll lose the least. Um, so, you know, another example of a business which is pretty much a pure play on real estate is a company called Laco and it stands for the Los Angeles athletic club corporation. Um, they are a publicly traded uh, limited partnership and uh, you know, again, do your own due diligence. Uh, don't use market orders on this company. It's very, very thinly traded. There are days where no stock is traded in the company. And that's a business where, you know, they've been around since the 1880s. Um, for, for listeners of yours that live in LA, uh, they will know their, their staple asset, which is the Los Angeles Athletic Club, which is a big, very famous um, uh, social club and, and gym that they have at, uh, in LA. And the business has evolved over time um, 
through many iterations, and now most of their book value is in self-storage. And if you know a thing or two about self-storage, um, and I'd imagine you have a lot of real estate investors who are listeners, you know that the cap rates on self-storage tend to be pretty low today, um, especially in a low interest rate environment. And if you have really high quality self-storage, you know, you might be looking at cap rates of four or 5%. So why do, why do I like Laco? Well, the vast majority of their book value is on self-storage. And then the other part of their book value is in the athletic club. So if I'm looking at how to value this business, I would say, okay, well, what do I believe the self-storage is worth in the private market? And, you know, maybe it's worth, you know, I can look, even look at the public competitors um, like public storage and uh, cube. And there's a few of these and I can say, okay, these trade at, you know, four or five, six cap rates. Uh, if I look at, you know, loop net or, uh, you know, any, you know, real estate uh, listing sites, you know, I can see self storage typically trading at, you know, four or five, six cap rates. So I, I say, okay, that's generally the market. Um, Laco has self storage. Uh, a lot of it is in California, just a little bit outside of Los Angeles. Uh, they have some in Arizona, some in Houston. And uh, so if I take the self-storage and then I add the, um, the athletic club, well, I can kind of get a sense of what the athletic club is worth because I can look at some surrounding buildings, you know, and, and some transactions that have gone on in the area and say, okay, well, I think, you know, in this part of downtown LA, buildings are worth, you know, X price per dollars per square foot. And if I take the, if I value the self-storage units at, um, at a, in a private market multiple, uh, I'm getting the, um, the athletic club for free. Another way of looking at, at it is if I value the athletic club at what recent uh, buildings have been going at, which is, I don't remember the exact number, but these are, and, I'm, and by the way, it's probably worth more than what I'm about to say because a lot of the recent transactions are, you know, an abandoned, an abandoned building, kind of a rundown jewelry store. I mean, things that are not nearly as nice um, as the LA Athletic Club. But if I'm going to be like extremely conservative to the point of, you know, ridiculously conservative and just say, well, it's worth the same price as an abandoned building that just got sold, even though this is a beautiful building and has a hotel in it and has a parking lot and has some undeveloped, has an undeveloped lot, which they can do something with in the future. Um, then the rest of the self-storage units are worth about a nine, are being valued by the market at say around a nine and a half percent cap rate, which for, you could argue one of the highest quality self-storage portfolios currently in the United States, they should not be going for a nine and a half percent cap rate. They should be going probably closer to a four or five cap rate. So I look at this as, you know, the management buys, stock, buys back their stock a little bit every year. Uh, the management owns about, 70, I think it's about 70% of the company. So they're very incentivized to do well for shareholders because most of their network is in Laco. Um, they'll even say they pay their bills with, with uh, the unit distribution dividends um, from Laco. So they're very aligned with shareholders and they pay themselves pretty low salaries. Um, so that's, that's always a good thing to look at that. So, you know, again, if I was to buy an apartment complex, but I want, you know, the property manager to, you know, not be getting paid 30% a year or something like that, right? So I say, okay, the Hathaway family has been at this for a while, and they pay themselves a really low salary compared to what they could with control of the company. So I have good management in place. 
Um, they have a good track record of building wealth for, for their um, unit holders, not shareholders, when they're publicly traded units of a partnership. And um, if, I, if I look at the valuation, in the, in the private market, if I was to buy all that real estate privately, I would, it would probably be worth, say, between you know, four to $5,000 a unit. The stock currently trades around $2,000 a unit today. So even if I'm wrong, I have to be really, really wrong to lose money on that investment. And in the meantime, um, I get paid to wait. And you know, right now, the, the yield is about 4.5%, which is, is, is um, not bad for an unlevered uh, yield. So that's one of those businesses where you know, it's also a very large position for us. I expect it to probably slowly compound over time and they'll slowly retire units. And at some point, you know, the Karen Hathaway who runs it, she's, she's getting up there in age, she's in her mid, mid to late seventies. You know, when she retires, there isn't anyone right now in the family that's highly involved in the self-storage unit. So, you know, they might sell those uh, self-storage portfolio to a larger buyer, which would make a lot of sense because they could, you know, if, if they sold it to, public storage or something, they could immediately cut costs. So public storage has an incentive to pay a little bit of a higher price um, for that portfolio. Um, so, you know, you could hold it for, say, 10 years, do okay, and then one day you wake up and the stock has, you know, more than doubled. Um, but if it doesn't happen, I expect to do, you know, fairly above average um, and, you know, maybe make 8 to 10% a year on something with extremely low risk. And there's not many places where I can make a comfortable eight to 10% unlevered um, taking extremely low risk today. I mean, you look at say some pretty risky bonds that are trading at, you know, six, 7%. So I think for someone who, you know, wants to preserve capital and make some income, Laco is, is, is an interesting opportunity to look at, but again, do your own due diligence. Excellent. So basically to sum it up, you know, you're evaluating public companies, you're reading their reports, you're, you know, evaluating the management, you're looking at, you know, uh, the book value and, you know, if it's, if it's trading at a discount. So it's very similar to evaluating private deals, if, if I put it that way. So um, it's just yeah. a lot more research, obviously. And, you know, there's a lot, a lot more public knowledge that, um, that gets put out. Yeah, there. I mean, just, I, and one, one correction I'll make is I'm not really looking at book value because especially if a company has owned a property for a long time, just the way gap accounting works is the, the, the real estate is going to be on the books for what it was purchased at. So typically with, you know, with a company like Lico, it's, it's trading at a very, it's trading at a premium to book value, but I would say it's trading at a significant discount to the net asset value. Got that it. Yeah. Got it. Perfect. That makes sense. Um, so how can, how can people find you? How, how do they find your podcast? Um, how do people reach out to you to learn more about what you do? Yeah, sure. So they can go to my website, which is ericschlein.com. And I don't know if you guys have show notes or something, but I could give you a link uh, to that. And they can just click on podcast. If they want to look um, at my investment management company, it's just gscm.co. And they could take a look and I have some case studies on there. And uh, anyone can always contact me. Uh, and all my contact information is on there as well. And I'm also very active on Twitter. So I'm just Eric Schlein on Twitter as well. Awesome. Well, Eric, we really appreciate you for coming on the show today. Um, yeah, thanks be, for having me. Yeah, I'm going to be linking um, your website and your Twitter and everything 
in the iTunes description as well as in all our social media posts. Um, for those of you who want to uh, reach out to me and then I can put you in touch with Eric, it always helps with a warm intro. Um, definitely check out my website, rentnightproperties.com. Very easy to you know, reach me and then I can put you in touch with Eric as well because uh, he's got a lot of valuable insight that you know, I picked up on too. So thank you uh, for our listeners. This is Discovering Multifamily Podcast, episode seven, 75, and see you next time.